It has come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. Welcome to Talk Tank. Hello, you have reached the Talk Tank, the official LSE Entrepreneurs podcast where we delve into the minds of those who think, live, and breathe outside the box. My name is Udbella Escanero, and I will be your host for today. Welcome to the Artistpreneurs, where we steer clear of conventions and turn to the creative hearted. We tune into the process behind the writers, the performers, and the visual storytellers. Do they confront us with reality or allow us to escape from it? Today we are speaking to Miriam Druck. After working as a journalist for Bayerische Rundfunk and reporter for ARD, Miriam decided to make her journey from the writer's room to top-level business management. In 2019, she became CEO of the Bertelsmann Audio Alliance and built the company's podcast business. She has been part of the first management level of RTL Germany since 2022 and, as Chief Cross Media Officer, is responsible for brand, content, and talent development. She also heads the Sustainability, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Departments. Miriam is a passionate supporter of equality and diversity initiatives and works as an author and speaker to raise awareness of structural inequality in Germany. Don't miss out on this exciting episode. So at this point, we'll have already introduced you briefly, but could you please reintroduce yourself to our audience? Who is Miriam Trunk? Of course. Um, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Miriam. I'm 31. I live in Berlin with my husband and my little dog. And uh, yeah, I'm a journalist, but I changed into the management side of things about six years ago when I started as a trainee at Bertelsmann um, in a training program that's now called the Future Leaders Program. And I got to see pretty much all of Bertelsmann. Um, I got to see different divisions and the recording business at BMG and the publishing business at Penguin. And Random House, uh, the production business is free at Fremantle Media, and also um, the magazine business and the business side of things at um, G&J, which is now part of RTL. And I kind of made my way through different companies and learned a lot and um, got the opportunity to be an entrepreneur um, about four years ago when I got to start a podcast business um, for all of these divisions. And that was really exciting. And um, since last year, I have two new jobs uh, where I, I get to develop new formats in the cross-media department and um, make sure that we get greener and more diverse and um, offer equity as an employer, but also as a TV station with my other department. Wow, that's all very exciting. Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, and yeah, no, Bertelsmann, for people who don't know, maybe some of our listeners, this is a very, very cool company, I think. And since this episode is part of our Artistpreneur series, um, it encapsulates kind of creativity, entrepreneurship very well, generally. I just wanted to ask you a bit about your trajectory, because it's been very interesting. I've seen that you kind of started out studying classical singing, and then yeah. you became a journalist, and then now, like you said, you lead kind of more on the business and management side of things. Um, yeah. Was there a defining moment that made you want to be a journalist in the first place? Well, I think I was just really confused when I decided that I didn't want to be a singer because for all my life I wanted to be, you know, a singer, um, either musical or opera, and I pursued that path um, with a lot of passion. And also, I, you know, I, I pretty much did everything that brought me towards that goal. I took singing lessons. I went to a performing arts high school in in the U.S. Um, I auditioned for music schools. So when I realized I don't, I might, I might want to be a singer, but I don't want to be an artist, and I don't want to live that artist life that's just not really compatible with my personality. I think that was um, a defining moment that 
made me confused. And I think from that confusion and not knowing where to go, um, another opportunity arose to find a new passion. So I think oftentimes we try to not be confused, but I think the best ideas or the best opportunities sometimes arise from not knowing where to go because mm -hmm. you might just find something that is that is your next step. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, I mean, being a journalist, you know, working as a reporter as well must have been all very exciting. But you said uh, that there were some kind of structural issues you kind of noticed while working as a journalist. What were these kind of problems within, was it within journalism or within media industry as a whole? And is this why you kind of wanted to make the change to business? Yeah, when I finished journalism school, which was in 2015, 2016, I noticed that, you know, the way media works and also the way, you know, journalism works um, was about to face serious challenges because we were so used to being the gatekeepers of information and being the gatekeepers of stories, but the internet and especially social media changed that. And, you know, filter bubbles or echo chambers uh, came up and we saw that, you know, people would consume less news, but also we could see that people would not want to pay for news anymore, you know, except mm -hmm. of course the public radio and TV system where I worked at that time. And I noticed that I could, First of all, you know, as a young journalist, I could get jobs, but they were like freelance. They were not very well paid. Mm -hmm. They were you you wouldn't get really great conditions. But also I saw that, you know, the people that thought about how can we face these new challenges? How can we face the fact that we were way too late with digitalizing our journalistic content? We were way too late with, you know, introducing paid paid models within journalistic Mm -hmm. digital content how can we face these challenges how can we get break into the future and still make journalism a business model so i noticed that these people were all business people and the journalists that i knew were all you know complaining about how the times had changed and how the times were so much mm -hmm. better years ago or decades ago and they would tell me all these stories about back in the day they would fly first class to new york for like <laughs> a day for a photo wow. shoot and you know, how these times had passed and but none of them thought about well how can we face the challenges of the future that you know were so imminent mm -hmm. so um i decided that i wanted to make a contribution and then i realized that in order to make a contribution i needed to understand business and i needed to understand the language of business people which doesn't necessarily mean that you have to become a business person i would still say i'm a journalist first and you know a business person second even though the job i do is probably more of a business person now but um, I think it's important to learn the language and to learn, you know, the mechanisms of how decisions are made. So that's why I wanted to change onto the management side. And the trainee that I, I got to do at Bertelsmann, the future leaders, was really my, you know, my my green card to that world. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I think the media world especially has been, you know, changing so fast and so much yeah. as well. Um, and especially since COVID, I think just generally businesses have started to engage with customers differently and also customers kind of expect different things. And with increased digitalization, like, I think it's very important to kind of move with the times because it's so fast. Um, and also, I think this, this leads me to kind of think about the creation of the new podcast company, Audio Alliance. Um, you kind of did that within Bertelsmann as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Did this this did this did coincide well with the rise of the pandemic or was this be something, you know, was this because of, you know, the increased digitalization already or what, what prompted it? 
Yeah, so we started this way before the pandemic. We started talking about it already in 2018, and we could notice that, you know, podcast was becoming a thing. The first major podcasts were out there. The first major deals were being made. You know, we could see that there was a rising interest in the advertising market. So we thought, okay, podcast is something that we need to look at. And what happened was that the five Bertelsmann content divisions that, you know, I also happened to visit during my trainee program, which was BMG, Fremantle, um, RTL, G&J, and, and Penguin Random House, that they would all say, oh, we want to break into that business. So we said, okay, instead of, you know, building six podcast units, why don't we build one unit and use it together? Mm-hmm. And um, so that it just made a lot of sense. And that was way before the pandemic. And also podcast was was on the rise before mm-hmm. the pandemic. I think the pandemic really sped up the process and, and podcasts became part of people's lives. I think before the pandemic, it was about a third of people in terms of mm-hmm. listening to podcasts. I and mean, it was major, like for the most part, it was uh, young people and a very academic and also urban audience. And I think the pandemic really... Uh, yeah, made sure that the audience for podcasts became much larger and that really sped up a process that I think would have happened anyway, but it happened mm-hmm. much faster. So um, the pandemic definitely helped the podcast business, but um, the idea came way before. Yeah, no, for sure. I was reading as well um, about the Audio Alliance and kind of the top genres. And I think it was something like, it might've been home cooking or like home improvement and then sustainability. So I feel like it really like the pandemic really in a way like helped it like it's very it's what we needed at that time I think um just generally like I think the podcast as a medium more and more of my friends as well like they'll tell me oh I've I've been listening to this podcast it's like two hours long and that's something that I don't think I would have expected to hear just a few years ago from people in my yeah it's also great news you know as a journalist you learned in the years before you know make it shorter make it more catchy make Mm -hmm. sure your stories like you know clickable snackable those were like Mm -hmm. the words that were used in digital content and in podcast was sort of the anti-thesis to that you know you would see that uh you know you can be long you can be in depth you can be you know you can just Mm -hmm. talk about things for hours and people will love it especially in true crime when when you when you go under like 40 minutes, people say like, oh, wow, this is way too short. So <laughs> it also gave me hope that people want to listen. People want content and they mm-hmm. want to to hear what, you know, journalists or people who produce content um, yeah, produce for them. So that for me was a, is a very good sign when it comes to media consumption. Yeah, no, for sure it is. Do you think that the power of storytelling kind of within business is a lot stronger nowadays? Yeah, I think we're getting there. I think in podcasts, especially, we had to discover the medium first. Mm-hmm. Some were like, oh, this is like radio on demand. And others were like, oh, this is like TV with no pictures. But it wasn't either of them. I think it was just a very new medium. Mm-hmm. So um, we had to learn the rules for this new medium and the rules for the storytelling in this in podcasting. So I think that is a process that is still ongoing. And you can see some formats that have been super successful and others, you know, that have flopped that may have been really expensive in production. And um, I, you know, I've had both too. So sometimes you're like, oh, maybe this will work, but it doesn't. So you have to sort of learn the mechanics. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that storytelling, it is evolving constantly also, you know, with new digital formats, but the, you know, the craft of how to tell a story, how to capture emotions will, I think, always be the same in the core. Yeah. Yeah, I think as 
humans I think we we always kind of value storytelling like I think it's something very innate in us I mean I personally love podcasts and I think you know there's something to it you know listening to kind of someone tell you like a bunch of you know whether it's a story information or anything um so that's definitely a very cool um project that you guys kind of embarked upon um what was one of the most amazing experiences or the most amazing experience you've had so far in your career oh I've had so many amazing experiences I want to say I mean this sounds super cheesy but it's always the people like the Mm -hmm. reason why I go to work is because I really like the people I I work with I like my bosses I like my team I like most of the people in my company um but I think that is probably, you know, the the one thing that I also enjoyed after the pandemic, going back to the office, just, you mm-hmm. know, hanging out in door frames, talking to people, asking them about their dogs and about projects that they've been doing. And that's that's the kind of stuff I really, really love. And yeah. of course, also, you know, when you work, especially in television, sometimes, you know, you go to the studio or you go to a production and you're like, oh, my God, this is big. And especially, you know, I grew up watching a lot of TV as a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I was just a very TV oriented kid. And mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I used to watch every day are now my colleagues and I have lunch with them. And oh, wow. sometimes I look up to them and I'm like, oh, my God, this mm-hmm. like if I would have known as a kid that this would be my life, I would be really happy wow no that that definitely is very cool and kind of it's it's a feeling I'm sure like oh wow I really made it now yeah I mean I don't know if I made it you know as as a person (laughs) or in my career because you know I am I'm the kind of person I'm never satisfied I Mm -hmm. always think you know, if I get a B, I'm like, why don't I get an A? Or if I get this job, I'm like, okay, when is my next step coming? Like, I'm super impatient and I'm very (laughs) driven in a good way and in a bad way. But um, so for me, I'm never satisfied, but I'm also at the same time, I'm like, this is good. Like, even though I'm not Mm -hmm. like, this is it, I'm like, this is good. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds very cool. Um, You've actually recently published a book called Things I Wish I Knew at the Beginning of My Career. Um, and this kind of like highlights or focuses on like the structural inequality um, that you saw, especially for women. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, of course. So um, when I became managing director of the podcast unit at, um, I was 27 and I, up to that point, I was like, you know, we're doing fine. Like, I mean, I knew that, you know, people were talking about racism and sexism and inequalities but I was like I think like I think we're on a good path I think we're you know we're getting there Mm -hmm. and then when I was in my first senior leadership position I looked right left and right and I was like oh my god there's only white men and this is not just you know this is not a company issue this is a you know Mm -hmm. all of especially Germany and all of the you know production units or everyone I talked to I was like oh my god on this level it's just men and they're all white Mm -hmm. and um that's when I started asking questions because I would say okay it can't just be that the girls get the kids and then they leave you know there must be like structural issues Mm -hmm. and then in 2020 you know when the whole um, George Floyd thing happened and you know we started talking about structural racism I noticed, oh my God, like it's all sort of, you know, intersectional together, all the experiences that I was witnessing or what people would tell me. And then I would read books on anti-racism and I would talk to queer people and they would tell me, and I was like, okay, I think this is not like separate issues. I think Mm -hmm. there's an intersectionality to the, to discrimination and not all discrimination is 
you know, forced discrimination or people mean to discriminate, but it's a structural issue that, for example, when you see a young woman and an older man, you automatically assume that he's the boss and she must be, you Mm -hmm. know, lower. Or I had the wonderful experience when I was in a room with all men and then a guy who obviously not didn't work in my company, but Mm -hmm. was um, an outside partner would ask me if I would get him some coffee because he was like, of course, the young women get the coffee or women get the coffee. So that's when I noticed that, you know, we, and I mean, including myself, grow up with pictures of how we think the world is. Mm -hmm. We see, okay, when the light is red, you stop. When the light is green, you go and you say, okay, so woman uh, does this kind of job and the man does this kind of job. And, you know, you you sort of make assumptions about the world. And I also realized how language impacts that, you know, how certain words can change their meaning and the context they're used and Mm -hmm. how some words are used exclusively for one group. And I noticed the importance of networks and how women network differently than men, how um, how men, you know, basically build a stronger net really for themselves. So they mm-hmm. when they fall, you know, it sort of catches them. Mm-hmm. And um, the last point that I looked at in my book was the point power, because I noticed that power is a term that a lot of women don't think is something they should strive for because it has sort of a, mm-hmm. you know, dark image but then you know power means that you can move things and you can you can get things going so um, and that's why I looked at power structures power networks and um, also the power of social media the networking example actually made me really curious that there's a difference that in in the way that women and men network is that something that you while you were doing it yourself that you noticed or is it kind of just yeah so I noticed pretty pretty early on that my network was my biggest capital because um I think most of my career I have to really think maybe four or five people all men in my case but I don't think that's really um always the case but I noticed that my mentors and my network were my strongest asset so I was like oh is this just me or is this maybe you know a systemic thing something that's you know for other people too mm-hmm. so I talked to 15 women and for the book and they would all really tell me the same experiences and then I read a lot of you know literature and studies from science and most said that women have a harder time you know networking or really in a professional way because they're Mm -hmm. it's for a woman it's harder to say okay you may not be my best friend but you're still you know just someone in my network Mm -hmm. men have a much easier time bringing conflict and cooperation together while for Mm -hmm. women it's either like you're my bestie or you're like yeah you're out okay so I think and that's also because you know of the role models that we see mm-hmm. you know especially in children's literature most figures are men or are male even talking plants 80, 88% of talking plants in children's books are male so like it's very hard for women wow. or for girls to find role models but yeah. the role models that we find are either you know the stepmother and the the daughter that's like an enemy kind of thing mm-hmm. or it's you know it's best friends forever nothing comes us in between or the group where there's only one girl you know yeah. so I think that's basically you know sort of the setups that girls grow up with so you know men are able to form really strong professional networks often called boys clubs mm-hmm. you know where they support each other they're super loyal Mm-hmm. And women ask more questions. They're more like, oh, should I really recommend this person? What if it goes south? And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm responsible because I recommended her. So maybe I shouldn't. So 
yeah, uh, men are more, you know, they support each other without asking questions, while women are a lot, you know, more cautious on who they support in a professional yeah. context. That's really interesting. I've never really thought about it, but now that you now that you kind of present it, I, I'm, I'm kind of like thinking about every time I've networked or I've seen people doing things yeah. differently, and it's it's all making sense. Like it's kind of true. I think I think girls tend to, at least for me, like if I'm talking to someone or networking, it's true that you kind of base things on whether you like someone or not. That's very totally. interesting. And it's not about whether you like someone or not. You know, someone can be mm -hmm. great at their job and be someone you absolutely dislike. I mean, you should share you know a basic set of values also with your employer yeah. but like just today you know I met someone you know she's a great colleague we will never be best friends but yeah. we can support each other and mm -hmm. that's enough we don't have to go on vacation together it's totally fine if we're just if we're just yeah. doing a great job with each other so I think that women have to be more cautious and be more you know mindful of that and the way I do it now first of all is I hate the word networking I think it's such a horrible word because you know <laughs> it suggests that you're talking to someone because you have an agenda yeah but you cannot not network even now you and me we're networking you know we're getting to know each other and if mm -hmm. you ever need anything from me you just call me and you're like hey remember <laughs> our talk or whatever or the other way around so yeah. you cannot not network and I think mm -hmm. we have to replace the word networking maybe with I don't know meeting people or just some word that doesn't suggest mm -hmm. such a such an agenda driven um, way of meeting people yeah no that's that's a good point actually because that label is quite corporate like it is it is very much like a man-made label but I think yeah definitely like the labeling and language really matters a lot in kind of totally. the issues that we see I'm wondering because you're also the chief sustainability and diversity equity inclusion officer within RTL um are these challenges did you notice them while you were working and then you wrote the book or and or is it because of the book now you have clear ideas on how you know to implement certain initiatives or what are some of like the biggest things you're trying to do right now yeah so especially the part of you know ecological sustainability that started way before I even came or years back because you know we have obviously regulations that we need mm -hmm. to fulfill we have stakeholders that we need to you know that we need to prove to that we're becoming a more sustainable company so I think that was going on and way before I came and a lot of the colleagues in my team they were you know making the first steps implementing mm -hmm. green productions implementing ways to really measure and define targets and it's hard to you know formulate a KPI if you don't know how to measure what you do so you know they really did the groundwork on that and I think my passion um, goes into the social part of sustainability so mm -hmm. everything DEI and um, that's also the way my team is set up I'm, we're five people and I I have someone you know who focuses on ecological sustainability and I go more into the social side mm -hmm. and of course my personal interest that on also the knowledge I got with the book really helped me in the job because I I met a lot of great people I met mm -hmm. a lot of role models I met yeah a lot of people that you know we could really learn from um, and also um, I saw initiatives in other companies where like we should implement that I think one of the major projects that we're doing is that we see sustainability in all its forms 
not just as a company topic, but also as a media topic. Mm -hmm. So for example, this June, we will have our big pride month. And in end of June, we will have the Special Olympic World Games where we're a media partner. And we will also have a week where we put inclusion as a focus topic. Mm -hmm. So what we notice is that when, when we tell the stories, when we give visibility to, to diverse people, our audience tells us we came into touch with stories we didn't know before and we've been motivated to be more sustainable, more tolerant, whatever. So we see that we can really, really move something within, you know, the society. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know how much you know about RTL's audience, but, you know, we have a very diverse audience and a lot of a lot of them who don't live in big cities and and went to university. So I think that is a really, really important audience to target and to bring into touch with stories about inequality and about um, discrimination, but not in a way we're like, look how bad everything is, but you know, mm -hmm. in a way where you say like, look yeah. how someone overcame obstacles or look how someone, you know, faced an issue. So sort of the heroes that we have within society to give them a platform. And for me, that is, that is of course, major projects there there are a lot of work but also it makes me so happy when i see the data afterwards and the people that say this made a difference in my life wow no i think i mean things you see in media and just in general like in tv or in anything like it really does impact people and communities a lot so i think you know it's it's really good that there have been there i mean i don't know how many years ago like um roles like these were created but if you look back many many years ago there wouldn't have been probably this diversity, equity, and inclusion, or as big as a focus. Um, so I think that's really yeah. Cool. Or it would be one person, which I think is yeah. horrible because you know it's such personal work and it's such hard work. You have to face really crazy discussions at times. So I think it's important to have a team to do it. And in some companies, I see you know it's one person. I'm I'm always like, how do you even survive? Like I wouldn't do it if I was just one person fighting the whole fight yeah. on you know climate and social injustice and I'm like there's only so much a person can take on wow actually I'm kind of curious because you said you um you did this uh future leaders program and you kind of um alternated between the different yeah. groups because we were in the music um B company BMG um Fremantle and then did you choose like after everything were you like oh RTL is like the one that's most me or did you or was it like they placed you yeah, so um, what really happened was that I found a great mentor at um, at G and J at that time, which is now RTL, mm -hmm. and or actually even two great mentors, and they really gave me a vision on where to develop, mm -hmm. and they gave me the feeling of you know having my back, and I think that is something that I had to learn that you can't do it on your own. It doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how smart or how hardworking or how empathetic or you know everything the skills you have no one will know if you don't have someone who supports you mm -hmm. so I found that person um, within G&J &J, and I found a lot of other people who supported me and who've been great you know allies or supporters but um, my really first mentor he was um, on the board of G&J &J and um, he's been with me for a couple of years after so I think that is why I chose G&J &J. and also because you know I love music I love books I think that's mm -hmm. so interesting but you know journalistic content it's just close to my heart it's also what I know most about mm -hmm. and yeah. I think it really helps when managing you know journalistic content to know mm -hmm. how it's produced to have been there to have been the reporter to have written the stories to know what matters and um, I think that for me that it was the closest to my really to my core so of also who I am as as a professional mm -hmm. yes of course no I think it's it's great when you kind of you know you said you you are a journalist at heart so 
being kind of the person who makes all these important decisions knowing kind of what you're doing like the genre or like what the important you know aims are that's really kind of essential I'd, I'd say yeah, and also not just making the decisions, but also being in the room when decisions mm -hmm. are, make or, are made or discussed, because I think that oftentimes you, you know, journalists are, you know, they, they really pass over the decisions to the management board. They're like, you know, you need to do this. But I'm like, no, if we want to shape the future, we need to be in charge. We can't just mm -hmm. say the management is supposed to do it. So I think it's important for journalists to speak up. And that's why I always enjoy being in the room when, you know, decisions are being made or important things are discussed because I'm like, there need to be more journalists in here. We need to mm. be more diverse also in our skill set. Mm. No, yeah, that's true. And that's something that I always, I'm always kind of curious to know because um, when, when if I speak to people in like a specific industry, because obviously, you know, people in the room, you know, like you say, you could be from any kind of background, any skill set, you could be a journalist, you could be something else. And obviously, you, your education is in um, journalism. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, how did you do you think this helped you get into the business world, like into creative management? Or was it more the training program? Or I had to put in the work to really get the economic side of things going, because, you know, it people study this for years and years in mm -hmm. college so I had to do business classes I had to learn how to use excel I had <laughs> to you know learn how to build a business plan I had to learn how to read you know yeah all kinds of documents and um, so you need to put in the work and I think for mm -hmm. about two years I really spend a lot of my time studying business doing online business classes getting coachings and um, you know failing mm -hmm. horribly at building something and then you know getting better so I think um it's not easy to sort of I mean it was sort of a change in profession I I mean it helps as a journalist you learn to ask questions you learn to you know sort of assemble information and then you know try to understand how something works so that definitely helped but I had a lot of night shifts and a lot of uh tears um oh. when failing at business things but I became better and now I think I'm, I mean I'll never be CFO I think of a company mm -hmm. I don't I don't see myself as a CFO ever but um you know I know enough to you know to navigate and I know enough to understand how decisions are made and I know enough to make propositions that make sense so I think yeah you need to put in the work yeah no yeah sounds like it especially with the excel uh it's so difficult yeah. it's a, a shared... I mean, it makes sense that's like why i started loving it because you know everything makes sense well you know in, mm -hmm. in journalism working with humans you know you set up a story you think everything is great and then some person pulls out and you're like but why but why and you know with numbers it's like okay if i put in this formula then this happens so mm -hmm. everything it just makes a lot of sense and that i love but at the same time i i'm just um I, yeah, as I said, I'm. I like numbers, and I. Mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm okay with numbers, but I'll never get up in the morning and be like, "Oh my god, I hope I can work on Excel all day long today." <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean though. Like when when you do do, I mean, at least for me, if I do actually do something right in Excel, it's very satisfying. Um, yeah, because it's like you just input something and you actually get it correct. Um, but yeah, no, that's a lot of effort on your part to kind of get into this world, and you know, you've also you've been very active as kind of a a role model I'd say like a leading you know female like journalist business leader I was wondering if there's any advice you'd give to our female students at LSE or even just you know our students in general um, who are thinking into going into management or business or just the creative world in general yeah I think 
you know, the first step, and I wish I would have done this a lot more is like, just, you know, spend time with yourself, get to know yourself, know what your strengths are and also what your weaknesses are. And I think, you know, when I started into the business world or into any kind of, you know, work, I started looking, you know, I just looked at the outside. I was like, what companies are there? How, what are people like? What do I have to know? What do I have to do to get to this job? But I think I wish I would have spent maybe a couple of months after, you know, after graduating from high school or whatever, really, you know, understanding who am I and, you know, what are my values and why am I doing what I want to do? And you can get a coaching or you can get a therapist or whatever, but I really recommend you know, knowing who you are, because only if you're on the ground with both legs firmly, you can walk or you can run or you can run away or run towards or, you know, whatever, but you need to be on the ground with both legs. And that also implies that you need to reflect on, you know, how much are you willing to put in? Like for me, I've always been a very driven person, even in high school. So I've always known I'm willing to do the night shifts. I'm willing to do the traveling. I'm willing to do the hotel nights. I'm willing to do the extra, extra and extra, extra mile. So, and I'm willing to suck it up. Sometimes you have to say that, you know, if you mm -hmm. want to, you know, if you want to be successful, sometimes you just need to clench your teeth and just pull through. But I knew that because I knew who I was. So I really recommend to everyone, don't just follow some idol or some person where you're like, oh, this sounds nice, but really think, okay, who am I? And then make an offer. And I think the reason why, for example, my network is so strong is because people really, really know who I am and I and they show me their true self mm -hmm. because, you know, I tell them, this is my offer. This is who I am. And if they like it, they take it. Or, but you know it's a really it's a strong truthful connection and I'm not pre pretending to be you know the next CFO as I said I'm not pretending to be the person who's your excel crack I'm like this is you know I have so many strong suits and this these are some things that you know I don't like too much so I think that is really important and what that also gives you is a certain you know you can be a little lighter in some things you can make you can be funny in business you can make human connections you can you can no you can laugh you can make friends even mm -hmm. so I think you know not being too serious not being too you know having a st too strong of a bite on things but just also sometimes just letting things happen to you and that's how it happened to me I met wonderful people that helped me you know I met people that I could help and I mm -hmm. think things come back to you full circle if you just you know put yourself out there and also give and that is a lot of young people especially um often think like what can this company give me what can this job offer me mm -hmm. but I think you know knowing yourself the question is what can I bring to this job what value do I add to this company and then you'll be successful because you know it's a very simple equation if it's better when you're there Mm -hmm. Then when you're not there, you're going to stay and you're going to get ahead. So I think asking the questions, what can I do for you instead of what else do I need? I think that's that's a really strong approach. Those are some really great tips. Um, yeah, I think it's very important to find kind of or know who you are before you kind of jump into I want to do this job or, you know, yeah. whatever into the next chapter of your life. Like you really do need to know yourself and because you can get swept up, I think, in kind of pursuing something that maybe is not what you actually want to do or maybe you're not suited to so yeah I think that's that's really good um, advice and I will definitely keep that in mind when I um, 
graduate soon. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, you're going to get lost. You're going to get lost all the time. You know, you, you get lost in every phase of life. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, you may start with the wrong company and just acknowledging, you know, maybe I started with the wrong employer. Maybe, you know, I made a mistake, but you know, you better, you know, make a mistake and realize it sooner than later, because otherwise you're going to waste your time and everyone else's. But it's also, you know, when you get older and you're like, do I want a family? Do I want to move? Where do I want to live? Do I want to get married? You know, it's, you, you have so many chances to get lost and the more or the firmer you are on the ground, the, um, the less likely it is that you're going to fall. That's true. Wow. Thank you so much for answering all of these, these questions. I think what you have to say is very valuable to, you know, to me, to our listeners. So I'm sure they'll be very excited to kind of listen to all of, all of this. Um, so yeah. in, in our podcast, we always do this uh, section called Real Talk. Um, okay. And we ask every guest two signature questions. Okay. Um, so the first one is, if you could change one thing about society, what would it be? Oh. <laughs> so... I would so equity would be the one thing mm -hmm. I really ignore I'm really annoyed that we don't have equity because you know when we say that the person who makes the most effort should you know get the most ahead you know but then you don't have equity you have a marathon where one person starts at kilometer zero and one starts mm -hmm. at five and one starts at 10 and one starts at 15 True. so how do I know who's the fastest mm -hmm. when we don't have equity so yeah. that is the one thing and I think a different taxing system might help with that, but I don't want to get too political. <laughs> okay, no, that's a great answer, Equity. I think, you know, people start out unequally, like in every aspect of life. So that's definitely something that should be changed. Um, totally. And so the second signature question is, um, what's an unconventional truth you believe helped you achieve your success? I think chaos helps. Oh. That may be my unconventional proof. I'm a very, like, if you could see my desk now, I have like <laughs> travel things that I need to, you know, turn uh -huh. in. And I have my book that has a coffee spill on it. And I have a <laughs> deodorant. I don't know why, but like some makeup. Mm -hmm. that, I don't know. I probably emptied some purse. But um, I think chaos helps because it allows you to change direction. Mm. So I, I don't say become a messy person because um, obviously that's not good either. But I think <laughs> just allowing a little bit of chaos and a little bit of, you know, going with the flow um, can help. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes me feel better about the desk. <laughs> Mine is also yeah. quite messy at the moment, but I think it's it's true. Like chaos does allow you to be more adaptable, you know, to move in different directions because you can't really try and, you know, your life can't be perfect. Like the journey can't be exactly tidied up in this, exact way you want so I think yeah that's definitely a really good unconventional like way to allow yourself to be totally um, and also you know what I said before just being a bit lighter you know just mm -hmm. just going with the flow not taking everything so seriously it doesn't mean that you're not taking it you know as a, something important you know just smile sometimes make a joke whatever you know find people that you actually like I think that just makes life so much easier and I mm -hmm. think you know when being successful implies being miserable that's not good so you need to you know have a good life and be successful that's probably the best combination that's, that's true that's a great motto to follow so to wrap up our interview we have one final question to ask you and this is something we ask everyone and you can take as long as you want to think about it so okay. If you could invite anyone in the world you want for a podcast interview, who would you invite? And this could be um someone fictional, someone from the past, someone, anyone. Someone who died also? Yeah, also. 
Oh, let me see. Well, I'm a huge Kennedys freak. Like I, I know everything <laughs> about the Kennedys. So it would probably be a Kennedy. Oh, really? And I'm leaning towards Bobby because I think there's so much he could tell that, you know, hasn't been told. And I think that he had also, you know, the front row seat on one of the most, you know, interesting political times in the U.S. and, you know, world politics. So I think it may be Bobby Kennedy. Wow. Okay. Why the Kennedy um, fixation? I don't know. I just, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I read mm -hmm. like my first Kennedy book and I got really oh. like, you know, drawn towards the whole history and the whole, you know, who did what and, you know, the whole mm -hmm. story of the family. And oh. I also really like Jackie Kennedy and I've, oh, yeah. I read all of her biographies. I've seen all the movies and um, yeah, then I got into JFK and the whole Cuba crisis. And wow. that was, uh, that was really my, um, my thing. And also in high school, I, I noticed that my JFK project was adaptive to every class I had. So I could do it in English. I could do it in history. No. I, I think I even found a way to do it in German class. Really? So I had one project that I could use in different classes, which was super you know, efficient for me. And I got an mm -hmm. A every time because it was just such an elaborate presentation because I always you know, put one up every time I presented it. And, and my best friend from high school, she still knows the John F. Kennedy speech that he did in Berlin by heart because she had to listen to it in every class and she was like I hate that speech <laughs> oh wow the way yeah. they, that's so interesting I, I need to check out the all the stories as well maybe I'll also become very interested um but yeah thank you so much again for you know coming to do this interview um and our, I'm sure that everyone listening to this episode later on will be very interested in what you have to say um and also what you kind of believe in because I think it's it's very admirable you know you're both doing what you love you know journalists at heart you're also a creative you know media manager and you also kind of stand up for the things you care about you know like the structural inequality issues so yeah thank you very much thank you for having me this was fun thanks for tuning in guys and leave your message after the beep